Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and I am joined once again by Colorado State University Professor Chris Barther. Chris, how are you today? Doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we're recording this during the pandemic, and just hoping you're surviving as well as as you can. Yeah, yeah. It's um, up in Fort Collins. It's been pretty low key, so um, it's a nice place to to live and endure this pandemic. Yeah, and uh, my cabin is uh, about an hour northwest of there, and we've been trying to weather the storm uh, as much as we can up there, just because it's much easier to socially distance from a cabin than from mm-hmm. from the middle of Denver. So, so quick side note, really quick. So everything's yeah. okay with your cabin. Nothing bad yeah. with the fires. They didn't get yeah. too close. No, it, we were evacuated a couple of times, okay. and the the second time it was it was a little bit on the scary side. The fire, <laughs> the fire was three miles away. Wow. And you know we we're just in kind of a flat panic, but we we got advance notice that we were being evacuated. And if they come around and say you're evacuated, you're not supposed to put anything in your car. You're just supposed to go. Wow. And so at least we had 20 minutes or so before they came through with that message. <laughs> so we loaded up whatever we thought uh, we needed, and and uh, eventually got back to the cabin, and everything's unharmed. Uh, we can't even see where there was any damage from the access road or the cabin or anywhere. So yeah, we were uh, very lucky. That's still yeah. the largest fire in uh, in history for Colorado. Obviously, not the largest fire ever in Colorado because at one time the entire Earth was a molten ball of <laughs> lava. So I, I think that was bigger, but that was Probably, pre- yeah. prehistoric. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, pretty, 2020 uh, was challenging, huh? But at, yeah, least we, yeah. <laughs> at least we were successful in some fronts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chris, rem- remind the listeners who you are. Yeah, so I'm uh, Chris Breither. I'm an associate professor in civil and environmental engineering at Colorado State University. Um, and I think relevant for our conversation today, I serve as chair of the Tailings and Mineways Conference Committee here in Colorado when we host the conference every other year, I guess in even years, on calendar years. Yeah, and, and you and I and some other people were responsible for resurrecting that a few years ago. And it's been a really successful um, series. It's- yeah, definitely. And I'll give a lot of credit, all the credit to you guys, all the consultants that resurrected. I came in and got involved in 2012 uh, when I started at CSU as a professor. Um, and then I took over as chair from Dan Overton in 2018. Um, so in 2018, I served as chair and then this year, this 2020. So, and then I'll be chair for the foreseeable future to hopefully keep it, um, moving forward and keep progressing with the conference. Yeah, that's, that's great. And if it had been a physical conference, I don't know if that's the right word, (laughs) (laughs) would have, have been in Colorado this year. 
Yeah, it would have been at up at the Keystone Conference Center where we yeah. hosted in the past. Um, yeah. So yeah, we were we were all planned to basically do kind of a similar conference, and then obviously, like everybody else this year, plans changed with um, with the pandemic. So we ultimately transitioned to a fully online conference. Yeah, and I was unable to attend because I was out in the field. I was in Nevada doing one of my favorite things, walking around a tailing stem. <laughs> But if I hadn't, I definitely would have attended because the talks are always uh, very uh, high quality and informative. And uh, I just wanted to, uh, to get your kind of impression of the conference and how it went, not, not, not just the virtual part, but the content, uh, the attendees and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I think at the end, everything was very positive um much better than we anticipated i guess to start out we were a little pessimistic you know with anybody doing something especially engineers who are very analytical and programmed when we start getting into something we don't know which was a virtual conference we were thinking oh this isn't going to work oh what if people don't come what are we going to do here so there was just a numerous uncertainties um so in the end, everything was positive. I mean, we had great attendance. Uh, we had great content. I think we structured it as well as we could with having, you know, about five hours, three days in a row, um, confined to the evening when most people in the Americas and Australia, Asia could attend. A little challenging for Europe and Africa, um, which relevant to acknowledge every all of those um, places because we had uh, attendees from all continents minus Antarctica, so it was really, yeah. good, really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what wh what were the key takeaways for tailings practitioners? Key takeaways. Well, yeah. um, I guess the the biggest talking point from Dr. Morgenstern's lecture was this idea of embedded ignorance. Uh, that definitely struck a tone and was carried on through everybody. So, you know, the he presented the idea with the sense of, you know, he didn't equate it to ignorance. It's basically, you know, mistakes or learnings that we haven't been exposed to, so we may not know yet. Um, and this idea that as we move forward, right, there's always going to be some aspect of uncertainty and that we haven't learned enough at that point, but to accept that we don't know these things and move forward. And he had this really great quote um, of the assurance of geotechnical performance would be enhanced if geotechnical engineering shifted from the promise of certainty to the anal analysis of uncertainty. You know, he's a big, um, advocate of evaluating risk and assessing uncertainty so i think that resonated really well um, especially with looking at failures of the past you know decade and understanding there is a huge amount of uncertainty and we can't certify any single structure and we shouldn't be yeah no that's a very good uh, lesson to learn and i i think the the new global tailing standard goes at least part of the way in this because they do indicate that you've got to do risk analyses and i would even say not not just a once-off thing but once a year or if anything changes it would be a really good idea to have a, a risk workshop and you've mm -hmm. got got a decent number of people attending and understanding the importance of it as well 
Yeah, and that's a that's a, a great um, segue, Brian, into you know um, I'll come back to Dr. Williams' presentation in a minute, but a, a big a big aspect in the the panel session on the new standard was this um, aspect of training of getting our learnings out there, passing them on, training yeah. new engineers that want to get involved. Um, and, you know, make sure that everybody is up to speed on um, as much of the practice as can be. So we're all qualified to be doing this together. And that aspect of risk, I think, is incredibly important because I think that's just one example, but it's a very prominent example that I don't think there's enough risk analysis and that classes, for example, in in the universities that are really emphasizing, emphasizing those skills and techniques. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's almost uh, art and you've really got to get, get a good practitioner to mm -hmm. arrange and, and conduct these things. And it, it really is something that should be grassroots. It, it should be something mm -hmm. that's as fundamental as running a slope stability analysis. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and, and and I think you emphasize it really good there. I mean, it's something that we have to get the practitioners involved with. And I think that's something else that came up. And I was reading back through the Q&A um, from the conference. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of stuff we can do as educators at the university. But, you know, we need to have practitioners come back and provide their case studies and expertise um, to help everything move forward. And, uh, you know, David Williams did a great job of that in his keynote. And he, you know, has a premium that he serves as a high level professor and consultant. So he kind of merges those two qualities really well. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, uh, Morgan Stern's indication of embedded ignorance reminds me a little bit. I think it was a plenary session uh, two years ago that John Lupo gave. Uh, on bias and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we we like to think that we're not biased but we're obviously biased by our past learnings yeah. and experiences and we have certain um, things from our past that give us a bias that we, we kind of want to pretend exists but it absolutely does and that probably is very similar to what Morgan Stern is talking about with his embedded ignorance yeah, I agree. And and I think a lot of that bias that you brought up is unconscious too. You know, yeah. we're making decisions or we're going through evaluations or doing design that if somebody asked us, we'll say, well, absolutely, we're not biased, but embedded in our decision-making is a bias from our education, from our experience. So, you know, this idea of multidisciplinary teams and review boards can help get away from that, right? Because you have multiple different um, people looking at it that have different perspectives and different learnings and different viewpoints to bring. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it sounds like it was a really great conference and I'm really, uh, I, I tried to look online and see if you could buy your way in after the fact, but at that time I didn't see anything. I think we 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 have, well, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But we we wanted to launch that. We wanted to provide that opportunity to people after the fact because the content is still available yeah. um, for six months after the conference. So whenever six months is after the mid November, so that content's there readily available. So 
for someone like you or someone else that wasn't able to attend it, you know, we still have that available. So um, definitely get in contact with Linda Hinshaw or myself and we can figure that out. Oh, okay, great, great. Yeah, I was especially interested in the keynotes, but there's always other talks. I I just interviewed a couple of people from Golder for this this uh, podcast, and it was there, there's a lot of great speakers at that conference. Yeah, and I think I think going back to kind of where we started with the conversation about the conference overall, I think having. Um, Dr. Williams and Dr. Morgenstern obviously helped out dramatically, right? Because those two individuals, um, one, they carry a, a reputation and they have the experience that we in the in the community want to hear. Uh, we yeah. want to hear their perspectives. We want to hear their lessons. Um, we want to take that and, and apply it in our own in our own careers. So having them too involved was super helpful for, you know, getting attendance up. And one of the factors that we tried to, you know, push the price point down a little bit and then also give um, sponsorship to students was we wanted to use the virtual platform to kind of disseminate that information as widely as we could. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that's great. Yeah. I was a keynote speaker for a conference at the Catholic University in, in uh Lima just a few weeks ago and to be honest with you I'm not sure that I would have accepted and uh, as a sole practitioner you know to pay my way down there Mm -hmm. and all the hotels and all the meals and all that kind of stuff to give a keynote lecture and so in this particular case being able to do that virtually was uh, kind of a no-brainer for me Mm -hmm. yeah and I think and I think we're going to see a lot changing in the future. You know, there's there's clear value in an in-person conference where you can meet face-to-face, you can meet new people, you can connect with old friends, um, right? Especially for exhibitors, they want to have those, that human-to-human interaction that's most effective. That's probably the hardest thing to recreate virtually. Um, but the, the, the pros of, you know, being able to, like you said, participate from abroad and not incur those expenses, um, you know, participate from the other side of the world. And it, it, you, if it doesn't even fit into your time zone, you can see this content on demand. You know, there's a lot of really great advantages to the virtual platform. Yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. And, and I think for better or worse, the, the pandemic is giving us several lessons on what we can do and what we should do in the future. And I, I've noticed that some conferences are saying that they're going to be hybrid conferences. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's some real value in that. Uh, obviously, like you say, there's nothing that can replace the 10 minutes of time that you can talk to somebody after they've spoken you know we're, we're down at cocktails or dinner mm-hmm. or whatever and it can be really valuable just to get that 10 minute follow-up on a talk just to kind of round out the knowledge that you've you've uh, gleaned from that mm-hmm. yeah it'll be really interesting you know hopefully in 2021 is the back the vaccine rolls out and you know we start going back to normal we'll see like how much we take away, not just in conferences, but in, in our daily lives of, I mean, you obviously can remember back to a time when you were traveling all the time and and it was just like, oh, I'll get on a plane and go meet with some versus just, you know, have a Zoom call. 
Um, so it's like, how much are we going to carry over from this right now in our in our daily lives, in our careers, and in you know, as we're talking about conferences, that are we just going to bypass everything and say, oh, that virtual it happened, it was a phase, now we're back to normal. I just don't think we'll ever go back to that and forget that we have this power to connect with everybody at a blink of an eye that I think we're always going to tie into what we do in the future. Yeah, 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 I I definitely believe that. And there's going to be a lot of the meetings where, you know, kickoff meetings where people used to have to fly from Mm -hmm. all ends of the continent to attend something. And I think some of those, although it's really difficult to attend an eight-hour Zoom meeting, I I think in some instances that'll that'll happen but i did hear somebody say you know what brian the first time i attend a uh, marketing meeting by zoom and my competitors there face to face i'm going to lose that sale that's true that's that's a good point <laughs> so like so like we've been saying right there's clearly value and there's something the human interaction you cannot reproduce um, online, and I think we've heard, we heard that we heard that from exhibitors prior to having the conference, and we heard it after. You know, we tried to do a good job um, as much as we could to engage with people online. You know, make sure it seemed like we were trying to be present. You know, even if it was virtual. Um, and there's better platforms, you know, there's more expensive kind of bells and whistles that you can add on and more interactive platforms, but for a first try at it, I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's, that's great. Was that facilitated by CSU or did you have some other outfit kind of orchestrate that whole thing? So we had a couple of, um, collaborators the 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 app or the web platform was a company called Hoova and they just they they have a they have a an app for your mobile phones they have a you know web app and that's really just the platform that's basically where all the content is hosted um and but then behind the scenes the key for us was we had a video team that was um you know taking all the video feeds in and then broadcasting it into that virtual platform and then that video team also was recording everything to be able to provide those videos at high quality on demand for the next six months and then if we however we want to use them afterwards so um those are kind of the two key pieces that like made the virtual piece like the virtual platform happen um yeah and then clearly with CSU, you know, uh, being involved in the conference and then C3 Alliance up in Vancouver helping out a lot. Those are kind of the backbone of like making everything happen. But like the virtual aspect of it was, you know, a, a platform and then a video team basically mon- managing the video and audio coming in. Yeah. Yeah. So all in all, it was a pretty positive experience, it sounds like to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a learning experience. <laughs> we, yeah. never really knew, <laughs> we never really knew if anything we were doing was correct because we didn't have anything to weigh it against. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're, you were your own guinea pig. Yep, exactly. So the next uh, Tailings and Mine Waste conference is in Canada, right? Correct. University of Alberta will be hosting um, in there. And their plan is to host in Banff, um, as they always do. So with the hope of in November 2021, that people will be able to travel and um, be able to be up there. But I've already talked to them. And 
they do understand that there is going to be people that may not be able to travel yet, um, may not want to, especially with all the changes we've just mentioned. So I think they're considering the options of, of hybrid as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that was my next question. I, I get emails from the University of Western Australia, and they are announcing quite a few of their conferences to be hybrids mm-hmm. through, I think, September is that I saw. So, yeah, I think the at least the hybrid is going to be with us at least through next year, if yeah. not beyond. I mean, can you imagine the value of students to be able to attend something like this when they're sitting in their their uh, schools and you know some far off land fill in the blank and and they, yeah. they, there can be a dozen students in their mining class and they can mm-hmm. attend this thing you know instead of 12, 12 people getting on airplanes and going through all the expenses of travel no I, and i totally agree and i think and i think that's going back to one of the topics we had talked about at the start here of our conversation was a huge advantage of it, of being able to disseminate that content and, you know, get students that may not have access to it to be able to have access to the content and learn about tailings from the top people in the world and hear about exciting new um, engineering problems that then they get excited to keep pursuing their career, right? Because that's what we need is to get more and more people motivated to come into the profession. Um, Yeah. And, you know, for this year, for example, in 2020, I think we had nearly 100 students attend. Um, And I mean, you've been attending the conference for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And granted, it it was virtual this year, but, you know, that's a big increase from the past. Like, we've never had a strong student attendance at the the conference. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a really positive step forward. Yeah, that is really great. That's exceptional to have a hundred students uh, attending this thing, and and is that absolutely? I I interviewed, or or I, I, we were hiring a uh, new employee at one of my former employers, and the, the guy asked me, Brian, why mining? And I kind of took his question the wrong way, but what the real question was, why mining geotechniques? Mm-hmm. And for me tailings offers a geotechnical engineer darn near every single aspect of of geotechnical engineering you know just open a a book on soil mechanics and it's it's about tailings you know everything (laughs) there's about tailings and so if you want to if you want to work only on foundations that can be a great career but tailings has such a broad variety of of uh, topics inside of it yeah, and that's a, that's a big reason that I advocate to my students. And they when they ask me, like, well, if you weren't a professor, what would you be doing? And I'd say, well, I would look for a job in industry at a consulting firm or at a mining company where I would be active in this field because I think the projects are fascinating. Um, you know, they're, they're massive projects. They, they incorporate all aspects of what I love with geology, geotechnical engineering, um, more to the civil and environmental side of engineering and understanding process as well, as far as how you can actually build these structures and operate them effectively. I just think all of that combined is incredible. So yeah, you know, I try to, I try to convey that to the students and then 
you know, the class that you've been involved with in the past at CSU, the mining geotechnics, yeah. that class has been excellent to presenting kind of those like grand problems and challenges and getting students look, to look at it be like, wow, I never even realized this existed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's always a very fun class to, uh, to help out in. It was funny, I was thinking, uh, Yesterday, if I, as a, as a sole proprietor, should sign on to become, to become a sponsor of the conference, and I, <laughs> I, I think I think it's slightly priced out of my league, but it really is <laughs> it, it really is a good uh, organization to belong to, and, and you you do provide scholarships for students through that uh, conference, so it really is a, a very good undertaking. Well, if you want to talk sponsorship, just let me know. But we know you'll all, we we know you'll always be a, a good supporter and a and a, and a an attendee and a close yeah. friend of the conference. So we'll always have for you there. Sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Thanks, thanks, Chris. And and maybe with that, I'll I'll just ask you if you've got any parting words of wisdom for us. Parting words of wisdom. Yeah. Um, I don't think anything in particular. You know, I think the. I guess one thing I would like to say in the end was when we started this adventure of the virtual conference this year, um, my main motivation to do it was to maintain consistency. You know, um, Dirk Van Ziel and his team in Vancouver of 2019 held an amazing conference and there's a lot of new interest, right? And then we had the standard, the new global tailing standard launched this year. So we wanted to make sure that we maintain consistency. And aside from the pandemic, we wanted to show that we had a strong community and we could work through this. Um, and I think our conference showed that, you know, that wasn't perfect, but in a year filled by so many challenges to have almost 800 people come together online and engage, I think was really reassuring and showed that we do have a strong community and that we can keep pushing forward. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh... Yeah, uh, Chris, I appreciate your time. It's a couple days before Christmas, and I know you've got some travels coming up, so I don't want to keep you any longer, but I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing with us some of the key takeaways and your impression of the virtual conference and its future in, um, in use, either as a fully virtual conference or hybrid. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hope to catch up with you sometime soon, Chris. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. You too. Well, everyone, that's it for another episode of Behind the Scenes with Brian. But I wanted to take the opportunity to reach out to my friend Don and and remind Don that she is the reason that I've started this podcast and I've kept it going. And thank you so much for the positive and continual encouragement. And until next time, rock on.